So let me introduce you to my guest, Shane Pinson. Grew up here in San Diego, and his business is Slim Rips TCG LLC. And some of his accolades is uh, poker dealer, uh, award-winning um, uh, store record holder for AT&T, and he's just a straight-up entrepreneur and business owner, man. Shane, my buddy, my friend, how the hell are you doing this morning? Doing fantastic, man. How are you? I'm doing pretty good, man. I'm doing good. pretty good. You uh, you wake up and drink some of that delicious brown nectar? I do, man. I, I but I don't like it hot. I like it cold, man. Nothing like a cold, refreshing drink in the you know in the morning for me. Oh, do, do you make it hot and then cold, yeah. or do you cold yeah. brew it somehow? Or no, I make it hot, man. I brew it and then couple of ice, pour it over the ice, put some creamer in. I'm out. Oh, no kidding, man. No yeah. kidding. Okay, yeah. and not even black. So you put creamer over it. What kind of creamer oh, yeah. you put into it? Yeah, I'm a, I could be a little soft sometimes. You know, I like my sweetness. <laughs> <laughs> what, do you like pumpkin spice? Oh, man, don't get me started, man. Yeah, when a pumpkin spice season comes around, man, oh, I'm, sure. there. I'm at Starbucks all the time, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I am too, man. Well, yeah. not Starbucks, yeah. uh, but... Total white girl. Oh, yeah, dude. I'm, I have a, there's this, I can't remember the artist, but she has a parody song of being a basic, a basic bitch. Yeah. And, uh, sometimes in pumpkin spice season, I play it for my kids as, yeah. as I'm dropping them off at school. And my daughter absolutely just is like, oh my God, dad, stop embarrassing me. You know, <laughs> job, this is not that's cool. To do. Yeah, exactly. I was like, well, this is cool to me, not you. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's awesome, man. Yeah. I can't live without it, man. I run on coffee mm -hmm. nonstop. Uh, but you know, everybody has her, has her own thing with coffee, man. That's the perfect thing about coffee, dude. Yes. It's not one thing fits everybody. Do what the hell you want to do with that. Pour exactly. over a French press, cold brew. You know, I'm not here to judge. I'm just here to partake. Exactly. That's awesome, man. Uh, what's your morning routine look like, man? Wake up, work out, coffee it up or what? Yeah. So depending on, uh, you know, I have my son, so 50, 50. So those mornings could be a little bit different. Uh, I wake up in the morning, probably at five thirty, six 6 AM every morning, just that automatic alarm clock in my, my body and get up. Um, I usually get up earlier before the kids, before the chaos. I like to get ready before they, they do. Cause then if I don't, you know, you know how it goes, man. Oh yeah. Um, so I'll get up, make my coffee, do my morning thing, you know, go in, take the Browns to the Super Bowl take my shower get my hair, you know, ready, you yeah. know, and then I start waking the kids up and then we're good. Well, it's important to take that little bit of time before the kids for you, man. Yeah. You know, whether that's reading coffee, sitting on the porch, a sunrise, whatever your, whatever your drug is, man. Right. You know, it's important for that time, man, because that's right. just kind of set your time for that day. Right. Oh yeah. That's awesome, man. So you grew up here in San Diego and mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I didn't grow up here in San Diego. How, how was it growing up here in San Diego, man? So I was born here in San Diego, and then when I, my mom got put into a, re, a rehab facility in Texas. So when I was here, when I was one years old, I was here up until about one, one and a half. Then my mom moved us to Texas to go into an inpatient program. Um, I was there for about eight years, the first eight years of my life. Um, and then when I got back to San Diego when I turned eight, and I've been here ever since. Um, San Diego's, you know, just depends. San Diego's very big and very, you know, um, San Diego in general as a whole, that's what everybody sees it as, but there's a lot of subsidies in San Diego where, you know, the people from San Diego, if you've been here for a while, you know, they'll say like, what part of San Diego? So I grew up in a predominantly Hispanic and black neighborhood. Um, that was that was different going to school, being the only white boy at school. Um, always got messed with for sure. You know, they saw a little white kid going around. 
uh, being in the city though, uh, inner city, that was awesome. It definitely cultured me, I, I believe. Um, it helped me just get used to different diversities in the world um, and different people. So getting acclimated to different, um, just getting acclimated in different types of uh different types of cities is, well is it seems really like what it, it seems like at a young age you're already getting acclimated to a different kind of life than mm-hmm. what most people are already living because i mean you said at one years old your mom went to a rehab in texas yes and she was there i mean obviously she probably wasn't in rehab for eight years right but she was in there for probably uh, you know let's start two years know, so two years you grew up in a rehab mm-hmm. around people who are just trying to get healthy mm-hmm. but are not 100 percent healthy yeah you know did that did that have did that have a role on you far as like going to school and how you kind of how how you're played out and your mentality played out as a young kid i mean from you know before you moved to san diego like did you have some trouble did you have some trouble growing up and you know causing a bunch of ruckus in school or what oh so when i i i remember a lot of like snippets kind of like screenshots of my childhood when we got to texas we were actually me and my sister were placed into a group home while my mom was in the inpatient for the first uh, 12 months, essentially. And I remember, I, you know, some people say you don't remember things when you're little. I remember being two years old, you know, t- my mom dropping me off at the shelter and telling me, hey, you know, it's going to be a year until you see me again. And But when you see me again, like, I'm going to be right. I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to have my shit together, essentially. And I remember going to that facility. I remember being in the room, you know, in the bedroom, bunking up with 12 different kids that, whose parents were going through the same thing. Uh, I remember, you know, I remember the routines. It was almost like being in juvenile hall, being in jail. It's like hourly bed checks, people coming in, flashing you, making sure, you know, on a flashlight to see if you're asleep. Um, routine, you know, wake up in the morning, breakfast, you know, lunch, school, uh, getting off of school, doing chores, doing duties around the facility, uh, shower times and making sure, you know, it was like three minute showers. Um, here in the, like being at two years old, it was like very mil- military-esque for sure at a young wow. age wow man that that is you know that's something i don't i don't hear a lot of that i've mm. never heard a lot of that i've yeah. never you know, met somebody who's gone through that kind of lifestyle yeah did you uh so you from two years old did you see your mom kind of during that period or was she like sucked into that program just to get her healthy and you didn't get to see her often or was her visiting times and stuff i don't really remember i really don't remember having um much contact with her with those 12 months we might have had a few phone calls here and there but when you know my mom struggled uh mightily when my mom was eight years old my grandmother's eighth birthday present to my mom was uh was a piezo pipe and a, and a bottle of schnapps and so at eight years old so my Wait, mom what, what is that what's a, a piezo piezo's pi- meth oh piezo's meth that's another yeah. name for meth no, so the pipe is called a piezo pipe, essentially, and 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 it's like this, like long, like it's like this long, like skinny pipe, and at the very end, there's like a ball, and there's a little vent chamber in there, and then you put it in there, and then you like literally like hold the lighter, like you see in like the movies uh-huh. with like the crack guys, and they're sitting there rolling, twisting it, and a little smoke's coming out, and then yeah, they hit it, and and they off to La La Land, and that was your that was her present to your mom when you're yep. eight years old and that's a yep. that's a well, memory when my mom was eight years old yeah when your mom was eight years old so your mom started getting addicted to this stuff just at, at eight? That age, eight years old my grandmother did the same thing to me on my eighth birthday she said she didn't have any money so she said here's here's a 40 ounce of king cobra and a joint <laughs> what uh, what's a king cobra king cobra uh you probably you don't see it unless you're in like the ghetto 
but King Cobra is uh, is a type of beer. Um, it's is one it like of those malt liquor or something. Yeah, it was. You know, it's a forty ounce. It was like a dollar twenty. You know, and my that's what my grandmother could afford at the time. So it was. You know, she'd go to the store. She literally, my grandmother would drink four, six forty ounces a day of King Cobra. Um, she was she was <laughs> such a King Cobra drinker that they would actually send her like materials like mugs and and ashtrays and dishes that said king cobra because she drank so much of that (laughs) king cobra fan club like hey thank you for being our number one supporter (laughs) exactly i mean a grandmother right she's out there just 40 just pounding 40s and i'm like all right that's cool so dude i oh man what so i'm getting a drug education here yeah, you are. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm not a professional by any means. I'm just, you know. I, well, you know, it's to each your own on, on that yeah, one. But yeah. I mean, um, so your grandma gives you this at your eighth birthday. Mm-hmm. Your mom, your mom's mom gave it to you, your mom and her eighth birthday. So this pattern just kind of is, is a repeating pattern of, oh, yeah. of your grandma because she obviously is not healthy. No, and she's not. I don't know either. if she ever got healthy. <laughs> No, she no, she did yeah. not get healthy. Yeah, it doesn't seem like at a forty, you're usually, you know, yeah. it's going to take a little bit to get you back to healthy. Um, but uh, your mom got to rehab, and after two years, did she come out clean and stay sober? Yeah, she got out. She got out clean. She came out had you know twelve celebrated twelve months, eighteen months, twenty four months. Uh, got hired on at McDonald's. She worked uh, full time at McDonald's and full time at Dunkin' Donuts um, in in Texas. Got me and my sister back. Uh, that lasted, you know, got a house. Uh, was working 60, 70 hours a week. Things were good, uh, and I remember that lasting for about a year and a half um, with my mom. And I remember one day coming home, where one day me and my sister were waiting to get picked up for my mom at school, and she didn't show up. And uh, it was about two o'clock in the afternoon and me and my sister were literally there until 6.30 at night. And I remember my aunt, who um, is my mom's best friend, she's my god aunt, she came and picked us up and she's like, I know where your mom's at. And we, she took us to where my mom's at and it was at a completely different house than you know, I've never seen before. She was with the dude that I've never seen before. Um, and I just remember my mom opening the door at the front, you know, there because my aunt was laying on the horn when she had us in her car at 6.30 at night. My mom came out and I just, I was like, I, I just knew right away. I could tell the look on my mom's face. I mean, at a very young age and I was like, this is not good. Um, and we went into the house and we, we didn't leave that house for four years until I was eight years old when my aunt like pretty much told me, she's like, You're, he's not staying here anymore. And um, that's when we came back to California. So did you, so eight years old, you're, you're, you're prior to eight years old, you're living with your aunt mm-hmm. and then your mom went off the deep end again, I take it essentially. And- well, I actually, my aunt dropped me off at uh, my mom's place. My aunt wasn't, you know, she's not, she wasn't a saint either. She was definitely drugs and alcohol as well. And the guy that we were living, my mom was living with was pretty much a meth dealer, drug dealer. Um, so we were living in the trap house for about two and a half years where, um, it was just it was just a nightmare for sure uh, as a child and my aunt was living there too um and she decided that she wanted to get clean and sober and that her opportunity was going to be back here in san diego working for her brother so she left to california and i had said i didn't want to be in that house anymore and so i she took me and my two younger sisters and in between that time frame my mom had another child with another drug addict 
and had a third baby and I remember leaving and my mom's let me go but my two younger sisters wanted to stick with my mom and uh, I was about seven years old and then that's when we moved back to California. And at this time, I mean, usually drug, drug addicts and drug dealers with kids, you know, aren't the nicest parents. <laughs> They're not like mm-hmm. giving you everything you need and no, you know, no. that safe, that safe environment, obviously, mm-hmm. you know, abuse, did abuse go on? Did the, you know, that your mom's boyfriend abuse you or, you know, anything? Yeah. Better? Yeah. It was, uh, that was like my, the, you're supposed to remember ch- like happy childhood memories and my first memories of being a child from you know, or my mom entering into a program, then my mom getting me back, and then me not having, getting picked up for my mom, and then all of a sudden entering this hell house. Um, sexual abuse, I remember being touched by him, you know, he would say, hey man, this is normal, we're dudes, this is what we do, and I'm like four or five years old. Uh, my sister, younger sister, was three years old. Um, he would touch her too, like with us and the, you know, all of us together, like, oh, you know, I'm teaching you how to be a woman. Um, and then my mom had my youngest sister, which she was a young a year and a half. And I remember he would just, he wouldn't touch her, but he would just, he would beat her. Um, and she was, you know, a year and a half old. I remember she would pee in her diaper because um, she's a baby. That's what babies do a year and a half old. And he would beat the living shit out of her. Like he would literally beat her with a belt for peeing in her diaper. And that's how he would get her to potty train, right? Um, so I remember coming home like when I was five years old. I remember my sister had lashings all over her back one time, and I tried to kill the dude. I literally did. I grabbed a butcher knife, kitchen knife, and I chased him. I went into the room and I went up behind him and I tried to cut his throat when I was five years old because um, he was torturing us and my sister. You know, he he would lock us up in the closet um, during the day. We didn't go to school when we were at that age. He killed us out of school because if we went to school with the beatings that we had on us, he'd get in trouble. Um, he would go to work. He worked for the city water department for Texas. Um, he would lock us up in the closet as soon as he left and he would literally bar the door shut and, and wouldn't feed us. You know, we were only allowed to eat when he was there. So he'd give us a meal in the morning, which was like a can of raviolis. Um, he'd come home at six o'clock at night, unlock the door, make us another can of raviolis and would put us in, would put us in the room. And then he'd go into the room and just get high with my mom and then come out. My mom would be loaded and, you know, almost like a zombie he would just drug her up and he would just beat the living shit out of us all the time and so um yeah i remember you know i remember that for sure as a kid very very vividly at five years old i remember i used to try to set up booby traps when he would come home we had this we had this giant ass uh, tree in the front yard and i remember i stacked three layers of bricks and I had tied him up and I threw the rope over the tree and I had pulled the rope as, as far back as I could and I hid behind the tree and as he walked up the steps, I let it go and I tried to drop the nine layer of bricks on him and I missed him and he beat the shit out of me for that. Holy I remember fuck. for sure, like I remember just the belt, man. I, I got, he. I mean, I don't know, like I'm not saying I'm Jesus Christ or anything, but if there's like that was definitely one of those days where I'm like, I know what this feels like, you know, just the, like royally just bruises and like backlashings. And that was the first time where we, they would send me, me and my sisters off to church camp on Sundays to kind of get some day, day free of the kids. And I remember going to church and they were like, what's going on with you? And I had bruises all over myself, black eye, you know, they took, lifted my shirt up and I had lashings all over my back. Um, and I remember being at church, they called the police and, uh, they went back and investigated the house and the guys just like, they did nothing. They literally escorted me back in the cop car 
went to the house, talked to the guy, came in. I mean, the house is a, a wreck. There's maggots all over the floor. Um, 13 different people living in the house in different rooms. And they'd come in and be like, hey, what's going on? And he would hide in the closet. My mom was like, oh, I don't know what happened. That must have happened while something else, whatever. And they're like, okay, ma'am, we'll make sure you take care of your kids. And then they would just leave us there again. So the police would come and nothing would happen? Never. No. Wow, man. Yeah. So you never had a sense of security? <laughs> oh, never. You know, no. up. I mean, you were just on edge the, the mm -hmm. whole time. I mean, the the sexual, the mental, the physical, mm -hmm. you know, um, yeah, I've always wondered, like, how come people, when go through stuff like this, don't become serial killers like Dahmer? Yeah, <laughs> you know, right. what I mean, like, yeah, like, you know, it seems like Dahmer didn't even have that bad of a childhood, and look what happened to him, right? Yeah, I don't know if he was a. I mean, for me, it was. You know, there's some there's some times like where I've thought about becoming serial, but it was definitely going to be serial against serial child abusers. Like I, sure. I have I I despise them. Anytime, like even in public, I have a hard time. I remember one time at AT and T. Um, I could tell, you know, and, and growing up in it, I can tell people, like I can read people like a book from the very beginning. And I just remember, you know, being a store manager at AT&T and seeing this guy come in and this with a girl and two kids and I just knew something was up and he was just very assertive and, hey, I need these phones because he was trying to scam us for some phones and the kids were like sitting on the chair being kids, they're two, four years old and like they're joking around and trying to have a good time and he's like grabbing them, shifting them, sit down on the chair and like yelling at him. And I just, I remember, I, I mean, that triggered me, like being that child. And I was like, hey man, I, I remember I went up to him, dude, and I was, and I threatened him in store. I was like, you put your hands on that kid again, I swear to God, you'll leave her in the hospital. And I remember my boss talking to me afterwards about it, because um, I kicked him out. I was like, you guys gotta go. I called the cops, the cops came and, and like investigated the car, he fled. I have no idea what happened. And I remember my manager's like, hey man, that's not your job. And I'm like, the fuck it's not. <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? I'm like, you can't, yeah, you're not gonna sit there and like tell me that's not my job when there's four or five year old kids that are getting their ass beat by somebody and no one's gonna step in like that. Like that. Yeah. I just told him, I was like, you have the wrong guy. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> so. yeah. yeah, absolutely. It, yeah. it is our job. It is our job yeah. as, in society to sometimes step in, you know, and, and say, hey, what you're doing isn't right, especially. Right come from somebody who knows the signs yeah like mm, kind of subject matter expert mm -hmm. here like <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> you, know, well, I know I, it. you know uh, so man. where was your dad through this whole thing though oh man my dad so my um my dad was murdered uh and pretty much in our front yard when i was in that's essentially what led to my mom moving to texas was my dad being killed um, he was set up doing a drug bust, or not a drug bust, but he was set up. He was doing a drug deal, and he had one of his little hoochies that were working with him and introduced him to a new guy. And I, the story that I remember, or the story that I was told, was that he was sitting in the driver's seat, and his girlfriend um, was sitting in the passenger seat, and he had some guy in the back seat um, behind him. And he was doing the deal, doing the exchange. The guy just pulled out a gun, put it right to the back of his head, pulled the trigger, and shot him right in the shot him right in front of our uh, house in, in City Heights. Rolled him up in a carpet, left him in an alley, and went on with his day. Wow, man, mm -hmm. that's that's brutal, and that's what led to your mom kind of going. I, I need guess. to go. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. probably should get out of here, huh? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, there's more to that dad story though later on. I'm sure yeah, yeah, we're, we're gonna get we're gonna get to that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're yeah. definitely gonna get to that. Yeah. Um. So you uh so you grew up, you came here in San Diego, eight, mm -hmm. uh, and essentially moved to. Uh, neighborhood that you 
you know, only white kid, man. Yeah, only uh, white kid. You know, that's and that's got to be unnerving a little bit mm-hmm. as well. But you're here with your aunt that is now sober, right? Yeah. And it, <laughs> yeah, at the time, it, it the, looked the like sober, it. most sober person in your life. Yeah, for sure, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> she had a job. I mean, that was a, that was a a a plus grade on when it comes to that. Wow, and she took you, moved you to San Diego, and where did you go from there, man? Like, how did so you went? eight years old you're here in san diego mm-hmm. you know what what happened man like how did what happened from eight to to live with your aunt yeah whatever yeah. i mean like your aunt you know yeah. you with your aunt your mom's yeah. obviously off the deep end mm-hmm. you know tell me how was it living with your aunt so my aunt was a little bit better in the sense that you know she had gotten off drugs and but she was de- still definitely a heavy drinker and we were living in a house in Spring Valley where it was her and her girlfriend. Um, and she lived, she was renting from another drug dealer uh, who had pretty much figured out later on in life that, that I was just one drug house to another. Um, would go, would, you know, would come home. She At least she put me in school, right? So we, I was going to school and I remember coming home and same thing. I wasn't allowed to eat when I wasn't, you know, when the adults didn't allow me to eat, A, because they were spending all their money on drugs and B, there was no food in the house anyways. Um, and I was always secluded by myself um, because there was no kids around um, besides the kids I got in trouble with around in the neighborhood. Well, and where's my, your sisters? My your sister sisters stayed in, with my mom. Really? In that my, house with that sexual abuse, that predator? Yeah. Yeah, my, they wouldn't go. My mom gave them the option to come and they wanted to stay. And so uh, my youngest sister at the time, well, I found this out later on too, my youngest sister, the 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 youngest of all of us she her dad is actually the uh, lead guitarist for the country singer travis tritt and um they got connected you know that her dad you know had a little bit a little bit of a bender time for a couple years got connected with my mom and knocked her up had a baby and my her dad got a hold of what was happening with my mom and he had come into the picture and taken my youngest sister away from my mom and so the only child that was left was my sister allison who was the fourth child of my mom and she stuck with my mom pretty much up until 18. wow i mean thank god for travis tritt coming into the picture and taking her out i mean yeah i mean well, also, he, it was his lead guitarist not the, oh, i mean not yeah travis. okay yeah. His, okay uh, his lead yeah. guitarist so yeah. it's not Travis Tritt, no. <laughs> <laughs> the lead guitarist for the, his band. Yeah. Um, but thank God for him coming in and you know sweeping her out and right. and hopefully being a good father to that daughter yeah. and oh yeah getting her in some treatment. Yeah. Um, you know, I, do you st- stay in contact with her now? So we got reconnected about ten years ago. Um, her dad was very protective, rightfully so, of the family, uh, and so when he did get custody of her, they moved to Tennessee and built his life he got remarried you know had a i think he had a couple more kids but still was doing some band still was doing some traveling with travis tritt um really good really well off um i talked to i got reconnected with my sister when she turned 18 so her dad had secluded her from the family and rightfully so um everybody on my mom's side of the family was you know not she wasn't allowed to talk to uh, and so when she turned 18, she found me on Facebook and we had reached out and I had always known, I had always known who my sister was. Um, and we, you know, had opportunities of trying to reach out to her and have communication, but her dad would cut that, you know, pretty much cut that off as soon as possible. 
Um, and at about 22 years old, I remember she had gotten a hold of me and she really wanted to come out to San Diego. And her dad pretty much kiboshed that. And I remember calling him and I remember having a conversation with him. And, you know, I was 22 and I was just like, hey, look, man, like, I understand why you're cutting everybody off, but let me tell you why, like, I, I don't deserve that. And I kind of went through and I was like, I'm going to college. I got a college athletic scholarship. Um, I got my shit together. You know, I'm taking care of my sister's two kids right now, actually, and kind of we'll, let them know. Like, we'll get to that. We'll get to that, too. And so, I, you know, I kind of let them know. I was like, hey, look, dude, like, I'm not the one you should be cutting off. Like, I don't have a drug problem. I don't have a drinking problem. Like, I got my shit together. And then he, you know, it took some time to finally earn that trust. But we communicate every now and then. You know, he'll be on Facebook and send me a message and like, hey, man, awesome, dude. To see you as a dad of your kids or congratulations on the business. So we touch base. And that open communication with my younger sister has definitely like been able to flow. I can reach out to her anytime I want. We haven't seen each other, though. I haven't seen her. I'm 32 now. I haven't seen her since I was seven years old. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a beauty about, you know, Facebook, Instagram. You know, even though you're not right next to each other, you can kind of live vicariously through, you know, their life and kind of see them mature up and see some of the portions of their life. Um, yeah. You know, thank God for technology. It's a yeah. blessing and a curse. Right. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, we'll get to the curse maybe here in a minute, or maybe the <laughs> blessing actually uh, yeah. for you. Actually, probably yeah, blessing. For sure. um, yeah. uh, so we'll. Uh, so you're eight years old. You get to San Diego. You're going to school now, mm-hmm. and tell me a little about your school school life, yeah. man. So I'm going to school. So I I went to different schools every year every year up and so through elementary school to middle school I went to a different school every single year. Uh, I was living in Spring Valley at the time. Uh, I was living with my aunt. She was you know she was there. She was present, but she also wasn't when you know with with drugs and alcohol. And I remember about six months of living with her in California is when she had my grandmother. Well, my mom's mom was living in San Diego as well, too. And my aunt had reached out and said that she had pretty much couldn't take care of me anymore. So that's when she moved me into my grandmother's house. Um, so I went from Spring Valley to City Heights. Um, and that's kind of where the new chapter of child abuse went down with my grandmother and um, her her boyfriend at the time my grandmother was married and had a boyfriend <laughs> so um uh, living in the house one bedroom house uh sleeping on the couch uh man it was it was crazy i remember living with my grandmother i was excited i'm like i'm living with family yada 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 things are good and i mean i didn't take me long to realize i was just one hell house to another um I remember, you know, getting into that place and my grandmother, of course, was very nurturing. She made sure that she always made sure I was fed. She always made sure I was clean. She always made sure I had what I needed as far as my essentials uh, with clothing and going going to school. She made sure I got up on time. She didn't give a shit about my grades. She didn't care what I was doing. And, you know, being up until eight, get eight years old, I, mean, I was an honor roll student, you know, straight A's, straight B's. And um definitely was like the good kid at school doing had my shit together with grades and like was a was a great kid but quickly learning going to school in city heights and being the only white kid in school you know i was i was a little bit of a pussy back then you know i mean i was i i mean i was going through it i was figuring myself out i had went through trauma and i'd given people i'd like to give people you know benefit of the doubt but i mean i remember going to school the first day and they're like oh who's this white boy and it was just like me, I'd go home, they'd throw rocks at me, they'd punk me, they'd like 
bully me. They'd lock me in a bathroom. And I was non-confrontational at all. Like I was, you know, and it was one of those ones like you're fighting or you're getting your ass beat. And I remember it lasted like two weeks of me just getting my ass beat every single day. Cause I didn't want to fight back, man. Like I love people. I didn't want to hurt people. That's, that's not who I was. And I remember it was one of these times I was getting my, I was like riding my bike home, man. I was getting chased by like 20 Mexican dudes and they're just like throwing rocks at me, trying to chase me home. Like for real, like as soon as that final school bell ran, like rang, I was like beelined it to my bike and I got out of there as fast as I could flew like a bat out of hell to get to my house. And I remember these, uh, these dudes were in city Heights and they had, they had stopped pretty much stopped the dudes from from punking me and they were like hey man like they they got around these older heads in city heights and they were like quit fucking with the white boy and i remember they had like punked these dudes and they had left me alone and that's kind of when i had felt my first sense of security i was like man like i immediately latched on to these guys because these guys were like stop these dudes from beating me up some of the dudes you know went to went to town on these guys for me and then i stopped getting fucked with um on my way home but that led to you know they were in a gang and so it was one of those ones where it's like hey man like we did something for you now it's time for you to start doing shit for us and i remember it just switched over to you know now i was riding with you know our gang was bab which was badass bombers because we were a tagging gang and we tag up city heights all over the place and i mean getting jumped in um you know with the gangs i was i was eight years old bro and so i'm like getting jumped into gangs eight years old and all these dudes are in high school post high school and they were kind of just but for me i mean it was legitimate like it was my first sense of protection like i did what i had to do and as soon as i did what i had to do i did my time with them and i did what they needed me to do whether that was like running drugs or jacking skateboards and reefs flipping skateboards or like going to malls and stealing as much as we could and flipping it for money to throw parties in the block like all of that but for me that was like when that was when you know my was living with my grandmother and my grandmother was a drug addict and alcoholic so when she was throwing you know doing her shit i'd just go hang out with the boys in the hood and we'd just go run the block you know <laughs> running up on people stealing skateboards stealing bikes going to payless you know we need a new pair of shoes bro we'd walk <laughs> into payless we'd take our old shoes off we put new shoes on we'd walk out man like hey you got some fresh kicks yeah fresh <laughs> kick, you know my shacks you know so yeah. <laughs> so i get my shacks on uh so or my tony hawks back in the day but it's tony um, hawks. yeah those oh, are good man. so that was like living with my grandmother she was a heavy alcoholic like i said in the beginning she would have she drink 640s a day two packs of cigarettes smoke weed and do meth at the same time um and her boyfriend at the time you know we he, he and i still have a relationship he's gotten clean and sober and has kind of repented a little bit with me but um my grandmother would you know for example when i was eight years old she didn't have anything to give me for a birthday except for 40 ounce king cobra in a joint she lit it up for me and smoked me out on my <laughs> birthday um you know i would she christmas she bought me a playstation i remember i got a playstation i was ecstatic i remember i was like oh my god i got a playstation thing was like 200 bucks at the time and i remember coming home two days later and my grandmother had hawked it at a pawn shop because she ran out of money for beer and so i'm like i had that for like a whole week and I just, you know, my, they would get high, they'd get drunk, or I'd be, you know, pissed off as a kid, or I'd come home high and drunk, and they'd beat me up for being high and drunk. I'm like, you motherfuckers are the one that gave me this shit. <laughs> like, what are you like? What are you mad at me for? Um, and I remember using like runaway. Um, I was in, I was with my grandma for about four years. I was in Polinsky probably five or six times. Polinsky's an orphanage center in San Diego where the police would take you away from your family and put you in this orphanage center and 
another jail-like, literally right next door to juvenile hall. You know, you bunk up with people, you have your room, you have your lunch lines, you go to school, you do what you need to do, you do your chores around the camps. And um, I just remember multiple times running away. I remember one time I ran away from my grandma's house because they were drunk. Um, and my her boyfriend had like took a belt to me and like whooped my ass pretty hard with the belt. And I remember I ran away and I met these new kids in City Heights and i had asked to stay the night with them and because i didn't want to go home so the mom was like yeah no problem stay the night just like you need to call your parents just to just to confirm and i remember grabbing the phone and like dialing the phone number and like hitting end though and like hey faking the phone call like hey grandma and you know i met this guy and they're not you know not to sound like that i met this dude yeah. you know and, like it's a new friend of mine and i want to stay the night here can i oh yeah great i'll be home in the morning kind of thing um, and I just remember the mom was like, well, do you mind if I talk to your grandma? I'm like, oh, no, you know, just trying to play it off. I didn't want her to know. And I remember about an hour was going by. Um, all of a sudden, the cops showed up and they were like, hey, what's going on, man? And I knew immediately. They're like, you know, where, where you live, told me where I was at. And they're like, you kind of need we need to take you home. And I remember going home. Uh, the police escorted me home. They drove me to the house. I told them where I lived and knocked on the door. And, my grandmother and her boyfriend did the oh oh my god we're so happy to see you like we didn't know where you were at oh my god yada 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 and the cops like gave me this spiel about running away and why it's not important and yada and i didn't give a shit at that time and i remember i remember they like left me and as soon as like that door shut the front door shut i remember my grandma's boyfriend just got his belt and it was like you motherfucker like don't you ever put us in danger like that again like you know what that could have done to us like if those cops were to find out and like start whooping my ass and i remember it was like not even after the door shut and i just remember hearing the banging dude the cops are banging on the door they're like open this door now my grandma went and opened the door and that's they got me they're like get out they put they put my mom's boyfriend or my grandma's boyfriend in cuffs and then put me in the back of the car and at two o'clock in the morning took me to plinsky and and took me to the orphanage center <laughs> and uh that was my first time that i was there and i remember two days later bro guess who they let me go home with my grandma and her boyfriend <laughs> they came right wow. down 48 hours later they, the same people they took me away from were the same people picking me up so, and this is a system that's supposed to be protecting you and they oh, released yeah. you right back to the animals mm -hmm. oh yeah, yeah that was sure. hurting you oh yeah i was just like yep yeah, cool man and i was like this is what this was every day and that happened for about four years you know three or four times a year i'd be in flinsky and two three days later they're letting me right go right back with the people that they took me away from well i, I mean that definitely proves the system's broken uh, mm -hmm. i don't know if it's gotten any much better you know, I don't, I don't know, know that much about it, but <laughs> you know, um, so you, you 12 years old, essentially now mm -hmm. you're still living with grandma, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I was going to, going to school in Claremont. I was actually busting the school cause I got kicked out of, uh, the city high schools that I were in. Cause at that point in time it started, you know, I had, my grades had fallen and mm -hmm. I hold, I hold the record at one of my elementary schools for most referrals ever. By in a single school year just because of fighting uh you know and i was every day it was a fight and they're like oh man this guy's trouble this kid's trouble this kid's trouble he can't be here but little did they know it's they didn't listen to me dude there was like i was like i have no choice you know if i don't fight you know they if they say go fight that dude like i'd have to go fight that dude or after school 20 of those dudes are gonna come and i'm gonna get my ass beat so it's, it's a matter of survival that. yeah so. you're in a matter of survival you yeah. damned if you do damned if you don't exactly you know, so, so you I was, went to Claremont. Uh, so you got, got busted bus, in Claremont. Bus to Claremont. Remember having to get up at 4:30 every morning and riding the bus from City Heights to go to Claremont. 
I went to Ray Kroc Middle School in, in Claremont. It's no longer Ray Kroc. I, it's a, I, I'm not sure what it is now. I know it's still a school, but I think it might be a charter school. Um, same same shit, you know, they're still one of the few white kids in Claremont. It was predominantly Hispanic, a lot of a lot of black kids there too. You know, a little bit better than City Heights, you know, but at the same time, like I had grown up in a Hispanic and black culture, like that's who I migrated to. Anytime I'd go to school, I'm like, I knew the Mexicans, I knew the black people, like that's just where I went. And so um, just the same shit, drug, you know, like drugs in the school and like gangs over there. Um, it was a little bit better because they had a boys and girls club that my mom was, my grandmother was able to get me enrolled into. So after school, I'd watch the boys and girls club and I'd stay there until about 6.30 at night. And then I'd bust back to City Heights, get home at like 9 p.m., wake up, do it all over again. Um, and that's... It's fascinating because you're showing a glimpse of your grandmother actually trying to be a good person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like yeah. even though it's probably 90% of not good. But yeah there was something in her that was saying like got to take care of this kid somehow yeah, some way somehow. even though and again your grandma's not going to stand up to her boyfriend because she mm-hmm. probably got the same treatment if she tried mm-hmm. to right right you know yeah. she get her ass kicked by her boyfriend yeah so, you so went to- i mean she had I, it was definitely the drugs and alcohol man i mean in the morning like you could definitely tell from my grandmother my, in the morning my grandma's up at six o'clock come on sweetie you know time to get up for school take your shower here's your clothes like you know, I made you breakfast, I made you lunch, you know, and then would send me on my way. And then by the time I got home from school, six, seven, seven o'clock at night, she's already like 300 ounces of beer deep. She's had a shit ton of meth, you know, and she's all wired and fucking pissed off. And, you know, like you little motherfucker, you know, when I'd walk in the house, as soon I'd come in and just, oh man, it's, my mom still has me like mimic my grandmother sometimes, you know, she's like, do a grandma when she's drunk, drunk, you know, and I'll do the little, I'll do the little reenactment. She's like, that sounds just like my mom. I'm like, it's, it's the same. I learned that at 10 years old, but yeah, that's, that's pretty much, you know, that's what my grandma's, that's how, what it was like living with my grandmother for sure. So when did that, when did that end? I mean, when did the, the, when did that end? You got kicked out of there. You went to Claremont. Mm-hmm. And now you're you're still probably causing a little bit of a ruckus, you oh, know, yeah. because that's you're ingrained into you now. Now it's yeah. it's, it's a matter of just a survival, right. and but you don't you kind of lost your backup probably right when you switch schools. Yeah, a little bit. So that's kind of you know, and I had to earn new backup, which is you know, which is like you you see these stories of all these kids, and it's like they go to different schools, and and every new school that they go to, what do they do? They have to fight. They have to do. And it was because, like you said, it's because I got kicked out of one school. I lost my backup, so I go to the new school. What do I got to do? I got to prove my ground. I got to stand up. And at this point in time, when I was twelve, or when I was in second, uh, second and third grade, at this point in time, it was just. I walk into class, you look at me wrong, bro, I'm swinging. Like, I don't give a shit. And so I'd walk in, like, some dude was, like, stared at I remember walking into, like, my third grade class, and some guy was like, what's up, white boy? And I just, I mean, immediately I was just like, all right. And then we just, like, went ham. Like, it was, like, my, my first day at school. And I just, it was just, like, right in the middle of the classroom, throwing chairs, dude. <laughs> it's like, that's just what it was, man. I was, so tr- I was so used to it. For five years of my life, it was like, get your ass beat or beat somebody else's ass. And that's kind of what it that's what it was um and i remember at that point in time i'd kind of earned the reputation like don't fuck with me like i'm like i might not win the fight but your boy's not down to back like i won't back down and so um you know i things had started to progress and i was I really wasn't getting messed with a lot in school but my grades were shit like i didn't care i didn't have any respect for authority my teachers my principals like 
don't care like whatever like no adults ever cared for me before so don't act you know save me the shock and all that i don't listen to adults um and so i remember my third grade teacher mrs b at the time she had started realizing i was coming home to you know i had like bruises on my my body i'd have lashings on my back i'd have like busted lips all the time and she's like what what's going on and i just remember slowly but surely um i started opening up to her and i kind of told her my situation about my grandmother and what was happening and i remember at the that's when she started saying like hey like would you want to stay with me on the weekend at the house you know come live with me and she was like i'll talk to your grandmother and my grandmother started allowing me so on friday i would you know, bring a bag of clothes and then i'd go stay at my third grade teacher's house for the weekend she'd bring me to school monday and then through the week i would go back to my grandmother's um and all the way through third grade i remember at the end of the year she had said hey like do you want to come stay with me for a couple weeks over summer and i was like i would love it because i mean third grade teacher her husband was like an engineer mechanic like could build anything um nice house in bay park i mean food i would have food daily like they would take care of me they had a pool they had a jacuzzi she had another son that was like my age and it, you know and it's going over to that house it was like a family right and so i remember showing up at the house she'd pick me up um after school on the last day of third grade and she had taken me to my grandma's house and she was like yeah just pack a bag whatever that's what we're gonna do and I remember leaving the house and my grandmother was crying and I was like, what's going on? And my grandmother hugged me and she's like, you're going to go stay with Mrs. Fee. I'm, I'm giving up custody to, to let you go live with them. And so I was like kind of shocked, but I wasn't. I was like more ecstatic. I'm like, dude, I'm having my own room. Like I'm not sleeping in the living room or on the floor anymore. And I'm not waking up to cockroaches crawling on me. And, <laughs> you know, there's I can open the fridge and there's going to be food in there. And so I remember staying there, you know, that's when I moved into her place um, at third grade summer year and they went through the adoption process and took about a year and a half, but they had finally adopted me um, at that point in time. So going into fourth grade year and fifth grade year, I was adopted living in a new home and that was, that was awesome living there with the family. But I had my trouble, you know, I still had my roots tied to City Heights and I'd bust to City Heights, go see my grandmother, but I was really just hanging out with the boys and um i you know they tried to do everything that got me in sports i mean i was baseball football whatever i wanted to do like summer camps sailing camps down in bay park like everything they gave me everything i wanted but i had just been so conditioned i wasn't mature enough to understand really what i had and i kept going back to where i was more comfortable at because i as a child i kind of was like when does this end like when are they gonna lose interest in me when is it when is the abuse gonna start when is so i didn't trust them um, I loved the environment, but I wasn't able to trust them fully. So I kept going back to, you know, the gangs in City Heights and started coming home drunk, started coming home smelling like weed and started coming home with like chains and new skateboards all every weekend. I had a new skateboard or a scooter and like, where are you getting this stuff? I'm like, oh, my grandmother. And they're like, nah, like we took you out of your grandma's house for a reason. And then I, that's when I started like really acting out there because they were like, you're not going back to City Heights. And I'm like like nobody tells me what i'm doing and <laughs> you know so you don't I'm understand 13, i, know I am the authority <laughs> <laughs> you know i was like i i run my life so um yeah that's when shit started getting a little sideways at the house and i was going through like deep counseling they were putting me on counseling and they put me on some severe antidepressants uh, i remember they put me on adult dose prozac when i was 11 years old um and i was literally a zombie man i remember i take it and like so I wouldn't talk to anybody. I was fall right asleep. And uh, I remember going to my grandmother's house one weekend. I, she found the bottle of Prozac. She's like, the fuck is this? And I was like, oh, it's antidepressants, like yada, yada, yada. And 
like this is just where I need to get through and cope and my grandma's like you don't need drugs and medicine she's like you don't need this like you're nothing's wrong with you you're fine here's a beer and here's a cigarette and here's a joint and she'd hand it to me and I'd come home smelling like weed and um I'm like hey did you take your pills over the weekend and they weren't gone and like and you know yeah I did but I didn't know that they knew how to count so uh <laughs> so that's kind of that's that's started to spiral really quick over there for sure how long um how long did you live with them about a year and a half two years um and i remember my mom so i didn't know this at the time but my mom had gotten into some pretty bad trouble and she was on she got taken to prison and then she was on probation for five years so when i was 12 years old 12 13 years old my adopted mom mary decided that she was going to help my mom move back to california because she thought what i needed is to be reconnected with my mom and so she flew my mom back out from Texas, helped my mom move back, paid for whatever. And my mom moves right back into my grandmother's house. So you get, you take a recovering addict and then you put him right back in a situation where drugs and alcohol are being. And so my mom, I started going there and I was like, dude, like I hadn't seen my mom since I was seven. So mind you for six years, every year, my mom never told me the truth. Um, Christmas, Thanksgiving, birthdays, holidays, New Year's, 4th of July, everything. My mom would call me, hey, I'm gonna be there this week. I'm gonna see you on your birthday. I'm gonna see you on Christmas. I'm gonna see you here. I'm gonna see you there. She would never show up, never show up. For six years straight, she would never show up. Um, So when she was finally there, you know, I was ecstatic to see my mom, but that was also one of the biggest curses too, because all I wanted to do was be with my mom, but my mom was living with my grandmother and once they started seeing that my mom was living with my grandmother and my mom was you know not doing what she needed to do they could tell my mom was not clean um they started limiting and said like you can't go to your mom's you can't go to see your mom you can't go see your grandmother and that's just when i mean i turned into a little shit. i mean i was sneaking out of the house i was stealing from them i was stealing from my brother at the time i was anything i could do to get some less money to go back to city heights and hang out with my mom uh, my mom had a car she would pick me up you know in the middle of the night and i'd come back in the morning and it smelled like black and miles because my mom loves smoking black and miles so i'd have a pack of black and miles and so 101 proof snops and you know smelling like weed all my clothes day and they just were like you know what like if you want to be with your mom they kind of they threw in the towel on me for sure you know they gave me up they relinquished custody and gave me back to my mom when i was about 12 years old no i mean it's it's that's a difficult process for a family to go through right and they're doing it by the gracious of god and the goodness of their heart yeah. and they're trying and and i'm sure you can look back and reflect today and go hey thank you for giving me a glimpse of normalcy yeah you know uh at yeah. the time that was not normalcy that was just like what the hell are you guys trying to do you're just kind of trying to control me right never really you've been controlled but not controlled right it's been abused controlled right. you, you've never yeah. been in a functional healthy living environment 100 you know, you don't know how to really to react to that right. kind of environment. You know, right. I, I feel you, man. My mom was not there. Yeah. After my parents got divorced, mm-hmm. you know, I feel you, man. She was gone. She'd say, "Hey, I'm coming up." Mm-hmm. Nothing. Fucking getting ghosted, man. Yeah. <laughs> you know, not showing up birthdays, the whole nine yards, man. I get it, yeah. and, and that plays a huge, huge psychological effect on people. But you went down a way different path. Yeah. And a lot of people, man, and. Uh, so you went back to living with your mom mm-hmm. and uh, now what? Now, man, yeah. now you're back. In the, now you're back. You went from this healthy environment ish, yeah. you know, other than you sneaking out and seeing your boys and your, mm-hmm. your grandma and stuff. 
yeah. to now you're full backfledge into the abuser, the City predator, heist. you know, gangs, gangs yeah, I mean, like, all of it. Um, getting back to my mom, I mean, right back into the same household that we were living in. <laughs> um, you know, the same house where I got taken out of, we were back into that place and just going down, just going down the path of, you know, getting uh, at this time, I'm like 11, 12, 13 years old. And now I'm getting a little bit older. I'm getting a little bit bigger and, um, you know, starting to run, you know, starting to run drugs and started to do, you know, going around having to carry a shank, shank on me and just like to protect myself, um, in city heights and just kind of becoming, you know, the, the gang that we were in, that was, you know, the guys now I was in middle school and these guys are like graduating high school. So we're talking about 18, you know, year old dudes with 12, 13 year old kids just kind of running around city heights. And, um, my mom had about six months later, my mom gets locked up in jail and living with my grandmother and uh, again with her boyfriend um, going through the same thing at 12 and 13 but at this point in time like my mom you know they're like oh you're you're mature you can handle this now so now my grandmother's like sending me out to go do you know here's 20 bucks go meet up with this person at the gas station you know bring me back what they're gonna give you kind of shit and I'm like picking drugs up for my kid and for my mom at 12 or 13 years old and um that kind of was like back and forth same thing they take me to Polinsky they take me away for two days and then boom they'd give me right back to my mom and then they'd take me away for two days and then boom they'd take me right back to my mom and so up until about I think I was like 12 I was freshman yeah I was a freshman in high school and I remember they had finally decided to start going taking you know taking me to court and for my mom to gain custody like they're like this is the point in time where like you got to put your shit together like you got to get it going like you know this is like we're going to take your kid away from you and she's like okay and she'd enter a program and then they'd give me back and then she'd leave the program and so i remember at like 12 years old i had told you know i told my mom and i was like leaving the courthouse they had let me go and with my mom and i told her i was like i'm not i was like i don't i was like i don't want to go back mom i was like i'm over it i don't want to live with you anymore i'm like no just let me go is pretty much what i told her i remember driving home or driving in el cajon on the eight freeway and uh she was, was shit-faced drunk and i remember she had started breaking down sobbing and crying and this whole nine and and uh she almost got into a car accident and we almost got into a really bad car accident she was going 110 on the freeway shit-faced drunk um just it was just really bad and but when we went to court the next day she said my son doesn't want to live with me anymore go ahead take him away and that's when they put me in a foster home uh freshman year of high, uh, eighth grade pretty much eighth grade yeah eighth grade you went to a foster mm-hmm. home and now you're in a different a different place yeah well, i mean actually gonna... i i forget the, i forget this part dude i mean i was in eighth it was eighth grade graduation actually um, I was rehearsing eighth grade graduation with my class. I think it was like 2003. And I remember it was the day before middle school graduation. Um, we were going through the rehearsals of eighth grade graduation. I remember just looking back and I saw two sheriffs and two people in suits walking up. And I'm like, that's for me. I knew it right away. Because at that time, my mom was also in a rehab facility. But for she had met another dude like she had done when I was two years old. And she, we were in this uh, clean and sober living house. And she had actually left me and my sister abandoned for about six months. So for about six months, the last six months of eighth grade, um, didn't know where my mom was at, sleeping on park benches and, and in and out of these clean and sober livings. Like, hey, you can't be here. Your mom's not here. And 
there was another family that was in there cleaning us over. They're like, we're not going to let you sleep on the street. So like they would let us sleep on the floor, kind of let us stay in the house. Um, and I remember that cops and CPS pulled up the day before I three graduation. And we're like, we're looking for Shane Pinson. And they pointed me out and they pretty much walked me out of school at that time. And everybody had kind of known I was pretty transparent with my story at the time too. So as soon as they took me away, I remember like, all my friends ran up to me, hugging me, crying, like wherever we're at, you know, just like make sure you get a hold of us, let us know what's going on. And um, I had got taken away and they put me in Polinsky. I'm like, damn, man. I was talking to the cop, the sheriff. I'm just like, you guys are really going to take me away on a three graduation? Like, at least, you know, like I don't get to walk with my friends. Like, I don't get to say bye. I don't get to say anything. And that sheriff actually picked me up from Polinsky the next morning, took me to Target, bought me an outfit. Uh, bought me an outfit because I didn't have I had one pair of clothes I had one pair of reversible shorts and I had a t-shirt and one pair of underwear and one pair of socks I used to wash all my clothes in the sink at night and then I would dry them over the stove the fire stove and that's how I got clean clothes and I remember he had bought me a, a pretty much some nice clothing and said hey look like you're gonna graduate with your friends and I remember he took me to school and I remember walking up to it and like the whole class went crazy, like walked in there and everybody was like loving on me and I got to walk and like it was, it was, it was definitely a cool moment. That was like the first time where I definitely felt loved. And, uh, but after that, I got placed into a foster home after graduation, actually in Santee. And the sheriff was like, I'm going to make sure you stick around for once. Cause I told him that from first grade to eighth grade, I had went to different schools every single year. And so I told him that I'd never been to a consecutive school. And he's like, I'm going to, he's like, we're going to get you somewhere. We're going to keep you close. And although Lakeside goes to El Cap, like he put me in Santee. So I went to Santana um, freshman year and um, I did four years at Santana, which was awesome. But I still was in three different placements during high school too. So, you know, that kind of, that journey goes on its own little thing too. <laughs> uh, did the cop at least keep up and keep track of you? Kind of where you were at and kind of kept in touch with you? For a little bit. Yeah, and and make sure, sure you're all right not getting abused yeah. like you were yeah. before yeah i was yeah. in a pretty good foster home when i got into freshman year of high school um i was in this home there were six of us six boys and once again i'm the only white boy in the house and um and so all the mexicans man they want to fuck with the wedo you know yeah. and so i you know for about a year and a half man i was just like every day it was like me and my foster brothers were like bombing on each other like in the backyard but you know, or over that time, we had gotten acclimated to each other and like um, things were going good with us. And we had, you know, we would like we were all about modding our bikes, you know, like sick rims. There's a bike store in Santee over there across the street from uh, Roundtable and uh, Avalanche, I think it was called. And they used to go in there and like get stickers, get the new spokes, get our new, you know, pedals. Like, man, we were just riding around Santee all of our, our whole time. Um, and I just, that was fun. But Santee in 2004, 2002, they had the school shooting and they, you know, Santee was nicknamed Clanty. And, uh, I was like, I go from being the only white kid into my school, in my school, walking South Pole, FUBU, like yeah. all this shit. Yeah. And I go into Santee and I go to show up to Santana and it's like SRH and Cottonmouth Kings and like all these like rop rops, you know, like these like red bills, red and white, like white power kind of stuff and i was like man dude like what the hell and i remember i immediately i just migrated there's about 20 30 mexicans and and black people in my school and i was like that's my squad like that's what i go to and i remember freshman year of high school it was the freshman orientation it was the friday before school started on monday and i migrated over to the mexican and black crowd and that's just where i was at 
I remember I was walking around with those guys and one of the seniors there was like, hey man, like pretty much called me a race trader. He's like, you're a race trader, man. You're hanging out with those da 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 right? And I was like, I don't know who you think you're talking to. And he's like, you're gonna, he's like, you're either gonna go with us or you're gonna go with them. But if you go with them, we're gonna handle it. And I was like, after school, I'm like, why wait till after school? You know, I was like, let's get it right now. And like, we're literally in the class, dude, with like two seniors and we just went ham, dog. Like me and these two seniors, like I, I remember vividly, these two seniors are there and they were like, kind of like trying to strong arm me. And he's like, I'm gonna get my boys and we're gonna jump you. I'm like, you're gonna need as much help as you can get. I was like, let's make it interesting. Cause you and me one-on-one is not, I was like, it's not going to end well for you. So I'm like, bring some friends, like, you know, and so I actually got suspended on Friday. They brought me in for fighting. And I remember there's like on for on Monday, you're, you're not allowed to come to school until Wednesday. And then immediately I was put into, uh, I forget what it's called, but they put you in like the detention. And so I had two weeks of detention before I even started high school and <laughs> they were like this kid is like <laughs> immediately was like this kid's trouble man and yeah. so like hey it is what it is bro like i didn't get i mean punk, listen but... welcome to my environment yeah, you know? first, yeah like yeah. yeah you're not gonna fuck with me i don't care if i'm a yeah. freshman yeah those kids didn't know who the fuck they were messing with no you're like you're like hey listen you might be in this world but welcome to mine and i'll introduce <laughs> you to did, it 100 <laughs> man 100 yeah man so uh so that's awesome dude well we're gonna take a break okay Dude, so, so you went through fucking a child, I, a childhood that nightmare movies are made of, man. Yeah, and we're just, and we barely got through middle school. And we barely just got through middle school. We just touched <laughs> on high school. Yeah, you know, but you ended up in college with a scholarship. Yeah, like how how did how did that happen? Because usually somebody from your background is not going to be coming into college with a scholarship. Yeah, unless you have some athletic capabilities which obviously yeah. you you became to know somehow how did that yeah. how did that relate and how did you get into athletics so i i pretty much remember after i got suspended freshman year of high school my my principal pretty shot you know shot it to me straight we i had opened up about my childhood and i told him at that point in time i was like what's up man like you seem very angry and so uh, told him everything like I didn't care at this point and so I remember he's just like look dude he's like it sounds like you need to take some frustration out on some, on some things I was like I'd love to uh, he goes why don't you try out for the football team and I was like alright sign me up and so I remember showing up to practice and I didn't know anything about football I like watching football but I didn't know I've never played football in my, in my life so they're like what do you like to do he, my, he was like what do you like to do and I was like I don't know and he's like do you want to catch the ball run the ball and I was like, I don't know. And he's like, how about hitting people? And I was like, I'd love to hit people. And he's like, it sounds like you should be a linebacker. And so I remember showing up to practice and, uh, they, you know, they put me in. He's like, I was like, I don't know what I'm doing, coach. And he's like, see ball, get ball. And I remember they ran like a, a you know, it was a little trap play. I just remember the running back getting that ball, dude, in first play, first ever, ever, <laughs> first play I ever had, dude. Boom, in the hole, knocked him, three-yard loss, TFL. My, my linebacker coach was like, we got a spot for you, baby. And so I remember then, that's when I was like middle linebacker. Um, I mean, it was like see ball, get ball. That was like the first thing I latched onto. 
Um, and I, I just was not afraid. I was not afraid to go hit anybody. And uh, back then, you could do Oklahoma drills, the drills, and go heads up with people. And we had this dude named uh, Daniel Carroll, and uh, he's my boy still today. We still talk about it. I mean, he kind of—that's another guy we should get on the podcast. Uh, but he kind of went through some shit. But this dude was like six foot, two hundred and ten pounds as a freshman, like just an absolute tank. And uh, everybody was afraid to go hit, you know, go heads up with this guy. And I'm like 130 pounds, dude. And I'm like five foot seven, still growing into my frame and got these pads on that are bigger than me. Looked goofy as shit. And uh, I remember we we're in like V drills, right? And people are counting. He's the guy that people count. They're like, okay, there's three people here. And then they were like, there's three people. Oh, fuck. And I remember this one guy was like, hey, man, I was right behind him. And he's like, hey, you should go ahead of me because he knew like Daniel Curl was right there. And uh, I was like, let me get Daniel, I don't give a shit. And so got lined up, me and Daniel looked, and like Daniel put me on my ass, dude, but I brought him down with me. And I remember he helped me up and he's like, he's like, I fucking love you, bro. And like got up and he's like, you're the shit, dude. And he smacked me on my head. I'm like, kind of earned the respect of the team at that time. Like I, like, I just wasn't the guy that wasn't gonna get back down from anybody. And so me and him like still talk about that day. He's like, I remember seeing your little goofy ass and I thought I was gonna run you over. And he's like, I ran you over, but you're the first dude to bring me down. So, uh, so yeah. It was football that turned your life around really. Really it was, that, it was that principal sitting you down and going, mm-hmm. Mm, mm-hmm. you know what? You're angry, I got something for you. You wanna yeah. leave your anger out? Man, let's make this a powerhouse. Yeah. Yeah. And flipped you around put you in yeah. uh, football and it, so yeah. did that just kind of did that transition you out of like the riffraff and be like you know what you're right i should probably leave that behind yeah a little bit a little <laughs> so, bit a little bit yeah. so uh uh freshman year yeah i remember freshman year i you know that was kind of like when shit got going um and i had like a really good year and like that's when things were like fun for me and you know i was going to school i kind of earned a reputation like i'm this you know i i developed a lot of haters too um at that one because i was this guy that didn't know how to play football and all of a sudden i mean i skipped hell week i skipped all this camp and it's like it took me like three days in practice and all of a sudden i'm a starting linebacker and then freshman year they had their daniel carroll was also a linebacker so they you know his spot was occupying that so they put me at corner um but pretty much same thing so i played freshman year corner and that was like really good but when football season ended i was like what do i do you know and i was literally like right back to city heights taking the bus back to city heights hanging out with the old crew again getting into a shit ton of trouble fighting like no outlet um and it's freshman year of high school probably you know the the latter half of the year um, I had gone back to pretty much the city heights where I was at and um, found out that the crew that I was rolling with had moved to another city in, in San Diego, Hakumba. And so I had started taking some trips out to Hakumba and hanging out with them. And I had uh, one night we got the bright idea. We we're all shit faced and drunk and high and we we're like, dude, let's go break into houses. And so we started breaking into houses and like we got away with it once, we got away with it twice. And then on the third time we were like, let's go all in. So we broke into this really nice house, um, stole everything, uh, like jewelry, uh, TVs, guns, uh, stereo systems at the time were pretty big, like beat bo- like boom, boom boxes, like all kinds of, you know, all these things. 
and we're like in Hakumba in the mountains, man. And and we were there that night, and we were like hanging out, we're throwing a party. We thought we were the shit. We had like three or four handguns, like 200 rounds of ammunition, shit ton of jewelry, nothing but gold, silver, and diamonds. And uh, we thought we had, we I mean, we pretty much hit a lick and thought we were about to make it. And uh, remember about a week later, uh, we I was sitting at my I was sitting at um, so backstory backtrack on that I had gone with them because the foster home that I was in previously I had bought one of my foster brothers again and beat him up pretty badly and they're like this guy can't like he can't be here so I had literally just gotten transitioned from that foster home to another foster home um, and in that same weekend is when I broke into that house and so I was supposed to be in this new placement. And it was like three days I'm in this house and the sheriff showed up to my house. They're like, oh, we're looking for Shane Pinson. And they were like, okay, what's going on? And sat me down in the living room and I told my foster parents what had happened. I was like, yep, broke into the house, stole a bunch of jewelry, stole a bunch of handguns and whatever. And they are like, well, you're being arrested. Um, this is what we're gonna do. And uh, they took me back to the station and they had interviewed me and, and going kind of like talked me through the process. And at that time it was actually criminal to steal you know they didn't let people off like they do now and it was every nine hundred dollars was a felony um account and it i had racked up 17 felonies when i was 13 years old i was looking at 17 years <laughs> was my at 14 years old i was looking at 17 years in jail uh, for the amount of theft uh, with jewelry is about twenty thousand dollars in jewelry um, illegal possession of handguns 150 rounds of ammunition um, all this shit so i was like they the family had come to the station and was talking to me and they kind of like wanted to know i had told the sheriffs my story and i was like hey like you know this is what's going on this is why i did it like i'm not making excuses like i take whatever punishment i get like it is what it is and um the family had came into the room they're like look like the laptops and laptops and cameras that you took from us those have photos of my parents meeting their grandchildren for the first time because their parents had, were uh, pretty much terminal. So they had flown home to allow them to meet their grandchildren before they passed away and they had all the photos. And so the photo, the camera and the laptop I had stolen, we, um, you know, that had all the memories on there. So like the only thing we want back is that, like, you know, kind of hit me in the heart. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to jail. like might as well tell you where it's at we had taken it to the, the mountains and we you know dug a hole threw it in the garbage bag and then buried the buried in the mountains and so that night i had taken the cops on a little ex a little journey and showed them where it was at got the shovels found the bags retrieved all the all the jewelry all the guns all the laptops laptops were still working everything um and that night they had said like hey man like you did a good thing for sure but you know you still have to show up you know do your you know do your thing like there's still going to be a process and so i remember going to my foster parents house john and cindy who i'm i actually just left their house this morning i still talk to them and uh you know I, they dropped me back off you know figured i wasn't a flight risk i was 12 like i'm stuck i'm gonna drive anywhere and so <laughs> they let me stay there and my foster dad is like look man like whatever it is he's like you're a good kid you kind of went through some shit and and at the end of the day you're gonna have to pay the piper um, whatever happens, like I'll make sure he told me whatever happens, like I'll be there for you regardless. And I was like, all right, cool. So I remember that week I had went to court and we were doing all the sentencing and it was pretty much slam dunk. I mean, I admitted to everything. I gave everything back. Like it was, there was no reason for a trial. And uh, we went into court and then they were stood me up for sentencing. And the judge, you know, was like, 
gave me the spiel about everything that I had done, told me what I was looking at, 17 years in prison. And, um, and I remember him standing there and he's like, but, and I was like, what? And then the family had stood up and he's like, they want to say something. And they said, you know, Hey man, like we understand that you've gone through some, some real life shit. You've gone through some trauma, but you're a good kid and you returned all the stuff. You were honest. You didn't, you know, you didn't lie about anything. You were open book. You gave us our things back and we're forever grateful. And they're like, you're a kid that needs an opportunity. You need a shot. And so they decided to drop all the charges against me. They didn't pursue charges. And that um, they pretty much said, we'll do this as long as you promise us that you'll make a difference in the world. And I said, I promise and dropped all the charges. And the judge said, don't fuck it up. And he said, if you get into any kind of trouble with the law ever again, he goes, I promise you, I will, I will bring down the hammer on you. And that was 13 years old, and they, they were going to put me back in the foster system and put me back in Polinsky. And my foster dad, that who I was temporary with, was like, I'll take him. And like literally was in the was in the stands or whatever you want to call it, and was in the room. And he's like, he's got a spot in my house if he wants it. And uh, I was like, ah, I want to go with him. And that's I went back to him, and that's kind of, that was like the turning point for me. That right there, seeing mm-hmm. that like second chance going, hmm. Mm-hmm. I should start transitioning away from this yeah. life of nefariousness <laughs> yeah. and really, you know, maybe take it seriously because you could have had some serious time and just yeah. been in jail really from 13 to whenever. Yeah. You and know, who knows? knowing my, knowing my background, I would have just got right in jail and just picked up right where I got off. And it's the same environment. Yeah, exactly. It's the same environment. There's really yeah. nothing different, right? Yeah. You know, other than just being intusional, intusional. Oh my gosh, having a mini stroke here. <laughs> Institutional lives. <laughs> it's okay. I'll get it out eventually. <laughs> Listen, I can't use big words. Okay, I'm from Oklahoma. Small words. <laughs> yeah. My vocabulary ends at ABC one two three. Cat dog. That's about as far that, as it goes. That, that's it, man. You throw this on some bitch, I'm gone. <laughs> um, yeah, that's that's man, that's good. That's good that they actually stood up and those people that you burglarized and stole their shit invaded yeah. their privacy. It was like, hey, I see some good in this kid. I'm not going to press charges. Yeah, and that set the tone. Kind of from that moment on, you started transitioning away from that that life. Of yeah, like, and you dropped your boys and all that stuff. And was like, hey, I'm not doing this. Mm-hmm. And your foster parents was like, okay, we're going to help you out. Mm-hmm. And did you stay with them throughout the high school and all that stuff too? Yeah, I stayed with them until I aged out of the system. They, you know, he made sure, like I told him, like we lived in like we lived in like Lakeside, El Cajon area, yeah. and I was still going to Santana. And he's like, "Look, man, like, do, where do you want to go to school?" And I was like, "I'd really like to go to Santana, establish a friendship there. I've never been to consecutive years." So he, but he literally drove thirty minutes every morning to make sure that I went to the same school in Santana. Um, for the school year, uh, and then you know we ended up moving to Santee for it so i could be closer um to my school and my friends because i'd still want to go hang out with my football buddies over there but he'd have to take me over there so he's like why don't we just pack up and move to santee and move me to santee so i could be around my my football buddies and um he you know saw that you know sports is kind of what got me acclimated and some of my best friends today that are going to be in my you know best man and groom best man and my groomsmen are some of the friends that i made freshman year of high school and so he saw how important those guys were to me and uh, made sure that I was able to stick around there. That's that's awesome, man. That's awesome. So you, you against all odds, you mm-hmm. graduated high school. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you did you did something and you went through a hell of a lot more in childhood than i did and i yeah. didn't graduate fucking high school but you yeah. <laughs> stuck through this man at yeah. all odds and graduated high school ended mm-hmm. up getting a scholarship to go to college yeah so i um so i was supposed to go to western washington um i was looking in went through some camps with some buddies and like the different different class different uh educational systems in different states and my college counselors or my high school counselors like, yeah, man, like you can do football and helping me fill out the process the whole nine. And then uh, week six of the NFL football, NFL football season, uh, week six of the high school football season, uh, second play of the game, dude, I snapped my leg. Um, I was starting linebacker, starting center. And I remember I was block, I was down blocking on the nose tackle and my right tackle had thrown his end and my leg had planted and hit me dead on dude and snapped my leg backwards. And, uh, I remember just feeling all four. I had the full triangle tear. I felt all four pops, um, on there. And I just remember like being on, on the ground withering in pain. I'm like, there's no way, man. Like, no, like, no. And, uh, tore everything in my knee and, uh, you know, I was going to go to Watt, talk to Western Washington and they're like, look, like you could still come here, but it's going to be on a walk on basis. Uh, you know, like recovery is going to be a bitch. You're going to pay out of school tuition. You're not going to have health care coverage because being a foster care, I only had health care in the state that I was in. Mm-hmm. So it was just like Washington wasn't going to be the place. And so I remember I um, finished out senior year. I got surgery at the end of the year of high school. And my buddy was like, why don't you go try walking on a Grossmont Junior College? And so I walked on a Grossmont Junior College. And um, two months, dude, two months after surgery on my knee, man, full reconstruction, bro. Slapped on it. Like, my got my David Goggins on, bro. I had my knee brace and duct tape and showed up to practice and and was, went out there and balled out, man. Same thing. Put me a middle linebacker. I was like fourth, fifth string. And they had this Polynesian dude. He was like 5'7", 310 pounds, playing fullback. And I remember it was, we were on a scout team and, and they would try to run a little ISO up the whole dude. And I fucking came down, dude, put that dude on his ass, man, and, and put it, then they had, got another tackle for a loss, put him on there. Um, and then when I went through my physical, they were like, you did what? They're like, you had surgery when? And I was like, yeah, I had surgery two months ago. And then it's like June 6th, I had my surgery and it's like August 20th and camp's getting ready to start. And they're like, no, like you're not supposed to be out here. So I ended up having a gray shirt. Uh, for that year but i remember specifically going in i was talking to my academic counselor and they're helping me out with classes and they were like you're a foster kid and i was like yeah he's out of the system like you're in the wrong department man and it's like i don't okay whatever tell me where i need to go and so they had the eops program in uh for junior college and ex- extended opportunity program um for students and i went in there and they were like oh you're a foster kid um good thing you blew out your knee because you would have went to Washington and lost all your privileges. But because you're aged out of the system as a foster kid, you get free education. We're going to help you find your own place. They found me an apartment, paid for my apartment, paid for my books, paid for my tuition and paid for me to be there um, while I was there. And I was like, literally like I had no idea that this was even a thing. Like I'm sleeping on my friend's floor because I, you know, I had nowhere to go after I had aged out of the system. Cause I was, had all these plans and it's like now all of a sudden I have all these opportunities open up to me at Grossmont. So um, got that figured out, went through my rehab, started training, still showed up to practice, did my coaching, you know, went through what I need to go through. And then when spring ball came around, I was healthy. And that's kind of when um, I started playing at, um, I was still playing at Grossmont. Awesome, did my shit, second string, second string the next year. 
and then ended up being a team captain my my sophomore season. So yeah, man. So you went to you went to college. You graduated college with a degree in what? Uh, so I went Grossmont Junior College. I got my AA, and then I went to um, Kansas, and I finished my undergrad at Humboldt State for bachelor's in criminal justice. Awesome, man. Awesome. Why criminal justice? I wanted to do. I really wanted to be in law enforcement and I wanted to be a part of, you know, I saw law enforcement a lot when I was a kid and nobody really helped. And so I really wanted to use that as an opportunity for me to go in those like dark situations and be a light for these kids. So that's kind of why I went through that route for criminal justice. And, um, you know, I just, I really wanted to be a difference maker. I had made that promise and I had realized like I had gotten through it and that's why I wanted to go through criminal justice. That's crazy. So mm -hmm. through this whole experience in your life, you never become a drug addict? No. I mean, I had my struggles with, you know, I smoked weed and that was kind of how I coped. Yeah. Um, I drank, obviously, uh, sure. what high school kid doesn't. Um, post, you know, high school, college, I mean, I may, I could say I maybe battled a little bit with cocaine, um, but that was more like party scene. I wasn't doing it every night. It was more social um but yeah, yeah you were I locking just, yourself in the room and fucking giving mm -hmm. you that white powder yeah no you i know? wasn't no <laughs> i wasn't yeah. tony montana tony montana <laughs> yeah. you know what i mean yeah. so um, uh yeah. no never i never you know i had, had experiences with like meth you know it's like my cousins when i was younger and then my mom yeah. being around it and then being in those trap houses like definitely was like hit the pipe a couple times i was like in that shit like hallucinogens for me is like a nightmare, man. I immediately go back into those worlds that I was in. And I remember one time I had experimented with the drug and I had, dude, I went nuts, dude. I thought I was in hell for sure. And like, I was like in my room, like with my head, you know, covering my head. And like, I felt like I had spiders and snakes just crawling all over me. And I was like, no, nope, I'm good, man. Like, I don't, <laughs> yeah, not for me. No. And, uh, would, I was younger in these trap houses, my mom and her, you know, they would shoot meth too. And when we were in these rooms, they would like lock me and my sisters in the closet. And part of the torture was, is if me and my sister would come out of the closet, they, all these tweakers would actually chase me and my sister around with needles and they'd fucking jam us with needles when I was like a child and they pin me and my sister into a corner of the wall and like literally would tower over us and like, poke us with needles and like try to like scare us into like don't come out you know and they were holding it so that's another reason why i don't do needles what the fuck man yeah <laughs> wow yeah. um well thank uh, god for that app so that you know that portion of it <laughs> I, I, dude i'm at a loss for fucking words i really am yeah. dude i mean oh wow yeah fucking monsters dude yeah for sure um so you, oh, I I got this I got this like movie playing mm -hmm. in my head of you yeah. saying that as you described it, and I'm just like, yeah. and that's hard to get out. That's like yeah. a real life thing. Like, you know, those are the people we have to fucking get rid of. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like seriously. Put them on uh, an island and fucking blow it up, man. Yeah, man. Dude, I I I still have like even going in for my surgeries, like when I had my knee surgery, my shoulder surgery, or like. The, just the just the anesthesia anesthesiologist man like i remember my knee surgery i was i got so worked up knowing that a needle was going to enter my body that i passed out before they even hit me with it like i like 
had the heart rate monitor on. Like they had to stop my my heart rate spiked to an unhealthy unhealthy rate, and they had to pull me out of the room. And like I was sweating, dude, and I was like hyperventilating and having an anxiety attack. And I remember I was going in again. And I was like, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. And I just remember I I woke up and then the next day, or I woke up after surgery, and they're like, you passed out before we could even put the needle in you. <laughs> I was like. And that's how terrified of needles I, I was in my life. How did, so how did you get, how did you get past all that stuff and over all that stuff? And did it, I mean, did it follow you in your first, how did you get past that? Mm. You know, how well, did mean, you heal I, yourself from it? One day at a time, man. And just knowing that I had already gone through it for sure. I mean, I still deal with it daily for, I mean, there's, you know, it leads into my relationships or, leads into me running my own business um, daily you know I still have trust issues with my lady and it's not her fault you know we go through counseling with that and pastoral care at church and uh, one of my mentors is one of the pastors at Awaken Church in San Diego and they um, you know just kind of helping me get through that that trauma and we have an event called uh, Emerge where we every year we go out it's about 3,000 dudes from all different campuses from all over the country go out to Campo out in San Diego and we it's a three-day church conference it's only dudes and uh, we do these things called burden boards and we get a two by four and tie it to our back and we write down all of our traumas and then we you know do our prayer thing we go through services we do competitions and then at the end of the night we like look at the burden boards and um, we you know say what we're struggling with and then we pray over it and then we burn the burden um, and this last this last one is my third trip that I went this last time I went to was uh, you know because I'll, I'll be super happy and then like something will trigger me and then, like all of a sudden I'm like dark quiet don't want to talk to anybody and I'm just having like a memory or something and so what um, the last advice I got was from my buddy Brent and he was like man he's like it seems like he's like you're cut off the branches you cut the branches of the tree off of what is hindering you and slowing you down right but the tree can regrow its roots and if your roots are bad if your roots are not healed then you're always going to grow bad branches so what he you know taught me and what he helped me understand was like what you need to do is like get into meditation get into prayer and then when you're praying like go back into that house go back and find that child in that memory that you have that different root and then like as yourself go talk to that younger self and then pray and then talk to that person and connect with that child and let them know that they're all right and like once you start fixing the roots when you cut off those branches once the roots are fixed fixed you're going to have nothing but good branches and so for the past three months like anytime i'm at church anytime i'm praying anytime like anytime anything that relates to me like even in a movie man like i i'll i'll, I'll find it and i'll go okay cool so when i go and pray like I, it's like i enter the house that that little kid has locked himself into and i enter it and i you know i envision myself at first like the kid not opening the door so i'm talking to him from the other side of the door like letting him know things are cool and then the door is like open and then now i'm walking with this kid like i literally envision myself walking around with my younger self and then going room by room and kicking the door open and and saying boom like this door of you know, anger or this door of like not trusting anybody and like letting him know like, and like, li like literally walking with him in my brain and it's like walking through the room and like cleansing the rooms um, each one time. So that's kind of 
that's lately what I've been doing. But I mean, it, that's taken ten years for me to finally figure out. So, well, it's it's a lifelong it's a lifelong. I mean, therapy. It's not just hey, I've done three things in three different days and I'm healed from it. Like a lifelong of trauma yeah. is going to take a lot of work and patience and understanding. Mm-hmm. You know, from your loved ones and your relationships that you're going to have with women uh, yeah. and family too. Yeah. Um, so it's not just, you know, your 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 wife or uh, your fiance, but it's also your. I think that was her. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, but it's also your. Uh, it's a lifelong commitment to stay there. Yeah. And to keep continuing to be that better person. For sure. And, and you said, and you nailed it. You said it kind of still has effect on your relationships, mm-hmm. and you know we spoke about it earlier, but your father yeah. was never in the picture never you know and he died in mm-hmm. your driveway when you were like one years old body mm-hmm. was dumped you know mm-hmm. wrapped in a carpet dumped um you know obviously he was uh in some bad stuff right yeah and yeah. he was not in a he was not a good a good you know uh a good person probably wouldn't have been a good role model for you anyhow yeah I mean, I, that that's, you know, you look at it like I have sympathy for people that are like that because, you, you know, you look at it and you're like, you're not born that way. You know, it's definitely your environment and it's just like the world. Like I had every reason, I had every, I had every reason to go down that path. I have every reason to be this similar parent, you know, that my, my mom was, that my dad was, that my grandmother was to me. And like, I struggle with that, but I, I know that as a person, like I consciously, I hate those kind of people. So that's like every day I wake up, I'm like, I don't know what to do, but I absolutely know what not to do. And that's kind of like where I, that's where I keep my mindset at. It's like, as long as I'm not doing that shit, like I'm 10 times better. The fact that my kid's turning eight years old this month and he still has a dad in his life. Like he doesn't like that. I struggle with that because I'm like, dude, you have no idea what I would do. You know what I mean? Like, so he's like, oh man, I didn't get this Pokemon cards. I'm like, motherfucker, I didn't even have food. You know, (laughs) my eighth birthday, I got a mad dog uh, (laughs) or King Cobra and a joint. My like, like, listen, you're getting a Coca Cola and a birthday cake and a party and some Pokemon cards. Yeah. I'm like, Shut you're up. on YouTube, man. And some new kicks. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. I'm like, man, you, you uh, yeah, it's, that's what uh, I still struggle with, man. Man, they don't understand. They don't understand uh, where, where, you know, we've been and what we've been yeah, through to, yeah, 100%. to go, to go through that, you know, uh, and, you know, and they kind of take it for granted a little bit. Yeah. So your, your dad wasn't around, but didn't you find out something kind of recent that about yeah. your father? Yeah. So, um, my mom told me, you know, I, I try to get acclimated to my dad's side of the family and, you know, it's just always like square peg, you know, square peg round hole kind of thing and never got really acclimated with the family. And, you know, the grandmother on, you know, my dad's mom on that side, like really tried, but I don't know, everything just kind of felt off my mom, you know, my one birthday, I think it was like my 28th birthday. My mom was like, well, it's a good thing. California didn't let me have my sixth abortion because, you wouldn't have been born and i'm like okay you know thanks mom like that's the kind of shit i get on my birthday okay so when my kid's bitching that the cake's blue not red kind of thing i'm like you know but um you know but she didn't put him on the she didn't put him on my dad on on my birth certificate and i'm like there's probably a reason for that and 
she said that the, she had told me she's like, yeah, there's five candidates. So I'm like, it's not a fucking game show, but all right, thanks, mom. And so we, uh, my girl, she's like, hey, she's like, have you ever thought about doing a DNA test? And I was like, no. I was like, because what am I gonna find? You know, like more drug addicts in my family. <laughs> like I'm like, I'd rather just start over. You know, I got the Pinson name. I'm the last male Pinson in my in my family. Like my bloodline, I was the last male Pinson. And so I took really great pride in that and like being like, look, man, like the female Pinsons are going to die off, but the male pins, I'm going to be the pillar that's going to like really branch out and recreate this name. And so she's like, okay, whatever. So Christmas, I unwrapped this present. It's a DNA test. And I'm like, eh, I put it off for like six weeks. And I was like, I'm not taking this shit. And like, I don't know why. And I was like, I don't want to know because I didn't want to figure it out. So anyways, I take the test and time goes by. And I remember getting a notification that the test results are back. And that I had matched with some family members. And I was like, okay. So I look at it and my mom had never taken the DNA test. So when it does the tree, comes down 23 and me, it goes, mom, unidentified, whatever. And then it goes, dad, uncle. And it goes, you matched with an uncle. And I was a 25% blood match. And the last name was Schmidt. And I was like, I don't know Schmidt. Like, and I went on there and it was like 25% blood relative. And like me, I know math. I'm like, okay, so that's my uncle, which means my dad, you're my dad's brother. But none of these names are, you know, and he had his kids and his grandkids and his nieces and nephews. And I'm like, I don't know any of these fuckers. And so I sent him a message and I was like, Hey, told him my story. And I was like, my name's Shane. I'm from San Diego. Took 23 and me. Looks like you're my blood uncle. Like you're my first uncle, which means one of your brothers are my, dad like what can you tell me and so we he messaged me back in two minutes and was like holy shit he was like this is crazy yada 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 we go on to the story and he tells me that he has two brothers that um had lived in san diego moved to san diego in the mid 80s they had joined the military and had gotten stationed out here in san diego um and that one of his brothers um they had both of his brothers had actually gotten into some trouble and after the military gotten some gangs got into drugs and got into alcohol and all that shit in and out of jail and he had one brother that has been mia since for like 20 years or like 10 20 years they don't know where he's at he moved to a different country and fled and did some other shit and that he had another brother that was living in the Bay Area as a, um, as a foreman, electrician. And so he goes, you know, the odds are is that my brother that fled the country is probably your dad because he's the one that has been, you know, on drugs his whole life. And my other brother, Ralph, has been clean and sober for 25 years. And so he goes, but well, let me call Ralph and, and see, see what's going on. Let me talk to him. So he called him and uh, 30 minutes later, I get a message and he's like, here's Ralph's number give him a call and he wants to talk to you. He said, regardless, he's like, he's your uncle. He's probably going to be your uncle. So, but he still wants to be a part of your life. Like, you know, if you're, if you're part of the family, you're part of the family. So I called him and picks up the phone. Guy's got a 619 area code. And I'm like, I'm 619. I'm like, okay, this is weird. Like he, <laughs> and so I called him and he's on a, he's on a job and he's like, Hey, what's going on, Shane? And I started talking to him and I started name, you know, naming my dad and stuff. And he's like, he like gets silent and he's like, who's your mom? And then I was like, told him my mom and he's like, who's your aunt? And then I started telling him these things and he just goes like, you could just feel it, dude. Like you felt the energy and he's like, fuck. And I was like, what? And he's like, what, what color hair do you have? And I was like, blonde. And he's like, what color are your eyes? And I was like, blue. And he was like, 
you're my fucking kid. And I was like, why? And he goes, I'm the only one with blonde hair and blue eyes. And my brother that my brother Ralph said, who could be potentially your dad, he's five foot five or five foot six, black hair and brown eyes. And he sent me a picture, dude. And it was like, I sent him a picture of me and you put them together. And it was like facial features, smile, nose, eyes, hair, like everything was there. And he was like, holy crap. And so we had like a 30 minute conversation. He's like, I got to get back to work, but I'd love to continue this conversation with you. And so he called me when he got off work that night and he had told me some, some stories and he's like, this is how I met your mom. And I, you know, this, this portion of it can't really enter because there's some like heavy gang shit that is involved with it, like very bad. And like the reason why he had to leave San Diego and just the whole nine and, and stuff that can't be repeated. But essentially what had happened is my mom got into some trouble with a specific particular gang. Um, Another gang had kidnapped her and my were holding her for ransom at, and my aunt who brought me to California from Texas had was tasked with doing the exchange for my mom. And so my mom, my aunt had to hire a few guys, a couple goons to uh, go rescue my mom and do the exchange. And my biological father happened to be one of those guys. So when they got my mom back, they threw a party, shit got wild my dad, my biological dad, my mom hooked up um, one time, one time only. And the next morning, I guess my dad, you know, my biological dad was like at my mom's place and my mom wasn't there and who my mom thought my dad was. He ended up coming home to my mom's place and seeing my biological dad in there and they beat the shit out of him. And they said, if you don't leave San Diego, like it's not going to be good for you. And that's when he left, moved to the Bay and got his shit together and he, you know, did some, did do some time and, uh, I think like 90, you know, 90 to 95. And then after he got out in 95, he went to school, electrician, got a job. And now he's a foreman has been cleaning sober for 20 something years and, um, had been living in the Bay the whole time and didn't even know he had kids. He didn't have any kids <laughs> until he found that he had me and, you know, and moved. That was about a year and a half ago. So he's recently, he quit his job up in San Francisco and moved to San Diego and wants to be a part of my life. And now I was living down here in San Diego, shows up to all my son's baseball games and comes to the shop, helps me out at my local card shows for my Pokemon. And, uh, you know, hangs, comes over to the house all the time, hangs out with the grandkids. And he's like, man, it was like, I was at lunch one day and getting ready to move to Peru with my wife and go back to where she's from. And live in the jungle and, and go on a coffee farm. And all of a sudden I get this lunchtime call that I'm a dad and I have two grandkids. And, and so that was, that's been a journey for sure. Wow. I mean, that's awesome yeah. though, man. Yeah. You actually got to rekindle and, you know, the not so fairytale story, uh, you know, actually has some kind of a happy ending and some kind yeah. of closure of like, wow, man, my dad is actually alive in here. Yeah. And you have a, a relationship with him. That's amazing, mm -hmm. man. Yeah. You know, that's good. You know, uh, it's good. And it's also awesome that your dad kind of was like, you know, I want to be part of your life. Not only that, yeah. but my grandkids. Yeah. As well. Um, right. That's awesome, dude. So yeah. you, uh, how's business going, man? You, so what, first of all, what business are you in? <laughs> uh, I'm in, you know, some super really hard labor shit, you know, every day I'm swinging <laughs> a hammer, you know. <laughs> No, man, I am in the business of Pokemon cards. Um, that, you know, you would have, who would have thought, right? <laughs> and so, uh, I, man, I, 
selling, buying and selling the Pokemon cards. I partnered up with a buddy of mine, a friend of mine that I've been friends with for a couple of years, was opening a shop. And I was kind of doing it as a hobby. I went to uh, Comic-Con in L.A. in December of 2021, and that was like right after the COVID pandemic. And they, you know, I went up there and I was like, holy moly. Like I looked around on my like, Pokemon cards like this is like this is a thing again. And so as a child, I remember when I got taken away when I was in eighth grade, the one thing that I had on me in my possession was Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh cards. And that was like my prized possession. And so when I went, got taken away, um, I asked the sheriff on the way to Polinsky if we could stop by the house to go get my Pokemon cards and my binder. And uh, Clean Sober Living had actually just cleaned out my mom's bedroom and threw everything in a dumpster and sent it on its way. So my binder went out the window. And so like my childhood, like the one thing that I had tied to was just thrown away so when i got to comic-con in la i was like pokemon and like he had like 20 30 people there selling pokemon cards i'm sitting here thinking like what the hell man i'm like working for at&t i'm selling windows and doors for pella and and i was like pokemon cards and i i was with my kid and i'd bought some packs and i remember at the first pack i bought i me and my son pulled like a 200 card and the guy was like that's a 200 card and i was like what the fuck and i immediately was like hooked again and i had started conversating with him i'm like hey man like how'd you get into this like tell me about it are you making money like every vendor i started going around and meeting all these vendors. And I was like, dude, I was like, I can do this, man. This is, this is super easy to do. Um, salesman at heart and naturally good with people. And so I came home and I told my lady and she, you know, she was pregnant with our daughter. <laughs> I was like, babe, I was like, I'm about to start a Pokemon business. She's like, a what? And I was like a Pokemon <laughs> business. And she's like, no, you're not. And at this time I'm like, trying everything right like i was doing amway yep. and then yep. i'm doing all these mlm shit you know i'm trying to sell energy uh, drinks and soap and then you know now i'm like going to thrift stores like buying and reselling shoes on ebay and i'm like oh, gonna make shit. it on ebay you know selling <laughs> shoes and this i come home i'm like i'm about to sell pokemon cards and she's like yeah whatever babe you know and so i went in and i just i literally i went ham dude i i racked up i fucking max out all my credit cards started buying shit and then like the first couple months for me was nostalgic so i was just buying and ripping and like quickly realized that there's no money in buying and ripping pokemon cards especially when you're buying retail and so i started like doing local shows um did my first local show about two months after getting started in pokemon and had my tape like had a little six foot table and just had all some like just shit you know i had nothing but I, I immediately, like, quickly learned. I was like, this is something I could do. Like, being behind a table, buying and flipping cards and, like, taking stuff in and, like, taking my casino industry experience that I had, like, making, like, carnival games and, like, just making things fun. And um, it's been about 14 months, and I'm partnered up with a buddy of mine. We just opened up our first store location. It's, we're on our fourth week of having the store, and now we're actually getting ready to start our – open up a second location already. Um and man, it's, I went and did my taxes and my first year in business, I went and talked to my tax guy, dude, and I did $150,000 in revenue in my first year in business in Pokemon, just, just, just starting. And so I was told my lady and I got my ass kicked by California in taxes because I had no idea I did that much, you know, they were like, look at my tax number. I'm like, oh, how much, you know? And I was, they were like 12,000. I was like, what the fuck? And they're like, yeah, you made 150 grand, you know, sell Pokemon cards. I was like, holy crap. And so 
um, looked into it. My buddy and I were talking for a while about, you know, he was opening a shop and I had kind of like planted seeds. I'm like, do I open a shop? Can I do it? I'm still working full time. And man, it's been the biggest blessing for sure. You know, it's uh, got the shop open. My lady lost her job, you know, and she lost her job. I opened the shop and it's like, usually people are panicking. And uh, this time I'm like, yeah, I was like, dude, come home. It's fine. Like I got it. Like, it's fine. This is taken off. And I mean, I've been on YouTube videos now. I've, I've had been on four YouTube videos with this local Pokemon um, out here in Del Mar and his name's deep pocket monster. And we, I've been in four videos and three of them have cracked a million views. One's cracked 2 million views. He just put one out, you know, 14 days ago and it's already at 750,000 views. Uh, I'm hosting shows. I hosted San Diego's largest trade show uh, for Pokemon cards in our, uh, in March for Pokemon. Uh, we had 80,000 square feet rented out at Del Mar Fairgrounds. Now I'm getting ready to help out one of the YouTubers in Anaheim. He's putting on a 50,000 square foot show. We're having all the Pokemon influencers come. Three three different influencers with over 2 million view, uh, uh, subscribers on YouTube are going to be there. And I'm in charge of all the vendors. Like It's literally been 16 months and it's like I've morphed from like buying product from Target and reselling to like now I'm getting paid to go and do these events. And it's, it's been awesome. Dude, that is awesome, man. Yeah. That is awesome. So where do they find you at? Uh, find me at, I'm on Instagram. So Instagram, it's at slims rips. It's S L I M S underscore rips. Um, I am also starting my own YouTube channel. It's a little bare right now where, you know, uh, we haven't gotten that platform up and rolling. Um, and then my shop location is uh six, four, five H street, suite G Tula Vista, California, nine, one, nine, one, zero. Um, this is our first location. And then we're getting ready to launch our second location in Carlsbad. Um, there's an old Sears that shut down in the mall and my buddy, um, wanted to do a weekly trade show there and he pretty much rented out Sears and he's going to have about 60 different vendors there selling kind of like a swap meet kind of thing, but a more permanent basis. And it's going to be there on the weekend. So that that's coming soon as well. Dude, that's awesome, man. Yeah. So you know what makes a badass? Mm. Somebody who's endured a lifelong full of trauma. Mm-hmm. And against all the odds of being sexually, mentally, physically abused, abused by the system, not taken care of by anybody, mm-hmm. had small glimpses of hope. And a couple of people came in your life and turned yep. you around. Mm-hmm. And you let them do it. Yeah. And you didn't let the trauma dictate the rest of your life. Yeah. And you turned it around. Yeah. And you made something of yourself. I did. By all odds, yeah. you shouldn't be. You should be dead or locked into prison. Mm-hmm. But you didn't. Yeah. You, my friend, are a badass. Thank you. And as I as I walk through this journey, like you know, it, it's it's that's what kind of what makes me believe that there is a God. If if that makes sense, man. Like like you said, I mean, statistically, as a foster kid, less than one percent of foster kids. The history of foster care since it's been tracked less than 1% of foster kids ever graduate college. Um, I should have had 17 years as a child. I mean, I've been stabbed, I've been beaten, I've been like, literally my parents' boyfriends and girls have tried to murder me. And it's like, you look at these things and, and, and it's like, how can there not be? Like, how can there not be guardian angels? How can there not be another presence watching over it? Like, I, I have every room. And so every reason to have failed and definitely like, you know, I want to take, 
accolades on there as it is but like i have to give glory to where you know our creator is at and our father for sure and and just like you look at these miracles and you're like how else can you define this besides like luck like no way like god had no his way. hand on your shoulder for and sure, was guiding you you just didn't even know it yet and <laughs> now you do my man yeah and you know what it's a pleasure to, not only for you to come on here but it's a pleasure to call you a friend man thank you thank yeah. you you are a badass shane pinson <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right, yeah. man. Well, we're cutting off the show now. And, yeah. uh, dude, thank you again. And, uh, we'll be hanging out. We'll be doing yeah, poker Thanks for having me, brother. <laughs> yeah. Hey, wait, how did we meet again? I remember we met, dude, your kids were selling lemonade. Yeah. See, my kids were selling lemonade yeah. on the corner of my street. And yeah. you were, I think, living a couple of blocks away. Yeah. And you just rolled over, man. Me and you just started talking and we're like, hey, dude, let's go have fun. Hey, let's start hanging out. And (laughs) we we hung out a few times, uh, did poker night um, and did things. But, you know, we all kind of went our separate ways, kids, you know, moving situations and stuff like that. And um, we always stayed connected, man. We always stay connected, whether it's Facebook or uh, text and be like, hey, dude, thinking of you, dude, what's up? You know? Um, And then, uh, you know, my son wanted... uh, uh, what was that that bird called pterodon or something yeah some yeah it was a godzilla bird right yeah godzilla bird and and then <laughs> and you started talking again and yeah. uh but again man we're gonna stay really connected and uh dude awesome man yeah thanks for having me brother hey man thank you yeah if you have a heroic story and you'd like to share it get in contact with us our information's in the bio also don't forget to hit the subscribe like and share and then i'll see you on the next episode badasses